Chapter Thirteen of A Short History of Scotland by Andrew Lang, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter Thirteen, James the Third. James the Second left three sons. The eldest, James the Third, aged nine, was crowned at Kelso, August tenth, fourteen sixty. His brothers, bearing the titles of Albany and Mar, were not to be his supports. His mother, Mary of Gouldres, had the charge of the boys and as she was won over by her uncle, Philip of Burgundy, to the cause of the House of York, while Kennedy and the Earl of Angus stood for the House of Lancaster, there was strife between them and the Queen-Mother and nobles. Kennedy relied on France, Louis the Eleventh, and his opponents on England. The Battle of Towton, March thirtieth, 1461, drove Henry the Sixth and his Queen across the border, where Kennedy entertained the melancholy exile in the castle of St. Andrews. The grateful Henry restored Berwick to the Scots, who could not hold it long. In June 1461, while the Scots were failing to take Carlisle, Edward the Fourth was crowned, and sent his adherent, the exiled Earl of Douglas, to treat for an alliance with the Celts, under John, Lord of the Isles, and that Donald Ballock who was falsely believed to have long before been slain in Ireland. It is curious to think of the Lord of the Isles dealing as an independent prince, though a renegade Douglas with the English king. A treaty was made at John's castle of Ardtornish, now a shell of crumbling stone on the seashore of the Morven side of the Sound of Mull, with the English monarch at Westminster. The Highland chiefs promised allegiance to Edward, and, if successful, the Celts are to recover the ancient kingdom from Kethness to the Forth, while Douglas is to be all-powerful from the Forth to the border. But other intrigues prevailed. The queen-mother and her son, in the most friendly manner, met the kingmaker Warwick at Dumfries, and again at Carlisle, and Douglas was disgraced by Edward, though restored to favour when Bishop Kennedy declined to treat with Edward's commissioners. The Treaty of England with Douglas and the Celts was ratified, but Douglas, advancing in front of Edward's army to the border, met old Bishop Kennedy in helmet and corslet, and was defeated. Louis the Eleventh, however, now deserted the red for the white rose. Kennedy followed his example, and peace was made between England and Scotland in October 1464. Kennedy died in the summer of 1465. There followed the usual struggles between confederations of the nobles, and in July 1466 James was seized, being then aged fourteen, by the party of the Boyds, Flemings, and Kennedys, aided by Hepburn of Hales, ancestor of the turbulent Earl of Bothwell, and by the head of the border-house of Cessford, Andrew Kerr. It was a repetition of the struggles of Livingston and Crichton, and now the great border lairds began to take their place in history. Boyd made himself governor to the king. His son married the king's eldest sister, Mary, and became Earl of Arran. But brief was the triumph of the Boyds. In 1469, James married Margaret of Norway. Orkney and Shetland were her dower. But while Arran negotiated the affair abroad, at home the fall of his house was arranged. Boyd fled the country. The king's sister, divorced from young Arran, married the Lord Hamilton, and his family, who were lords of Cadzo under Robert Bruce, and had been allies of the Black Douglases till their fall, became the nearest heirs of the royal Stuarts, if that family were extinct. The Hamiltons, the wealthiest house in Scotland, never produced a man of great ability, but their nearness to the throne and their ambition were storm-centers in the time of Mary Stuart and James the Sixth, and even as late as the Union in 1707. The fortunes of a nephew of Bishop Kennedy, Patrick Graham, Kennedy's successor as Bishop of St. Andrews, now perplexed the historian. Graham dealt for himself with the Pope, 
obtained the rank of archbishop for the bishop of St. Andrews, 1472, and thus offended the king and country, always jealous of interference from Rome. But he was reported on as more or less insane by a papal nuncio, and was deposed. Had he been defending, as used to be said, the right of election of bishop for the canons against the greed of the nobles, the nuncio might not have taken an unfavorable view of his intellect. In any case, whether the clergy, backed by Rome, elected their bishops, or whether the king and nobles made their profit out of the church appointments, jobbery was the universal rule. Ecclesiastical corruption and, as a rule, ignorance, were attaining their lowest level. By 1476, the Lord of the Isles, the Celtic ally of Edward IV, was reduced by Argyle, Huntley, and Crawford, and lost the sheriffdom of Inverness, and the earldom of Ross, which was attached to the crown, 1476. His treaty of Ardtornish had come to light. But his bastard, Angus Og, filled the north and west with fire and tumult from Ross to Tobermory, 1480-1490, while James's devotion to the arts, a thing intolerable, and to the society of low-born favorites, especially Thomas Cockburn, a stone-cutter, prepared the sorrows and the end of his reign. The intrigues which follow, and the truth about the character of James, are exceedingly obscure. We have no Scottish chronicle written at the time. The later histories, by Ferrarius, an Italian, and much later by Queen Mary's Bishop Leslie, and by George Buchanan, are full of rumors and contradictions, while the state papers and treaties of England merely prove the extreme treachery of James's brother Albany, and no evidence tells us how James contrived to get the better of the traitor. James's brothers, Albany and Mar, were popular, were good horsemen, men of their hands, and Cochrane is accused of persuading James to arrest Mar on a charge of treason and black magic. Many witches are said to have been burned, perhaps the only such case before the Reformation. However it fell out, all is obscure, Mar died in prison, while Albany, also a prisoner on charges of treasonable intrigues with the inveterate Earl of Douglas, in the English interest, escaped to France. Douglas, 1482, brought him to England, where he swore allegiance to Edward IV, under whom, like Edward Balliol, he would hold Scotland if crowned. He was advancing on the border with Edward's support and with the Duke of Gloucester, Richard III, and James had gone to Lauder to encounter him, when the Earl of Angus headed a conspiracy of nobles, such as Huntley, Lennox, and Buchan, seized Cochrane and other favourites of James, and hanged them over Lauder Bridge. The most tangible grievance was the increasing debasement of the coinage. James was immured at Edinburgh, but, by a compromise, Albany was restored to rank and estates. Meanwhile Gloucester captured Berwick, never to be recovered by Scotland. In 1483 Albany renewed, with many of the nobles, his intrigues with Edward for the betrayal of Scotland. In some unknown way James separated Albany from his confederates, Athol, Buchan, and Angus. Albany went to England, betrayed the castle of Dunbar to England, and was only checked in his treasons by the death of Edward IV, April 9, 1483, after which a full Parliament, July 7, 1483, condemned him and forfeited him in his absence. On July 22, 1484, he invaded Scotland with his ally Douglas. They were routed at Lochmaben, Douglas was taken, and by singular clemency was merely placed in seclusion at the monastery of Lindoris, while Albany, escaping to France, perished in a tournament, leaving a descendant who, later in the minority of James V, makes a figure in history. The death of Richard III, August 18, 1485, 
and the accession of the prudent Henry the Seventh gave James a moment of safety. He turned his attention to the church, and determined to prosecute for treason such Scottish clerics as purchased benefices through Rome. He negotiated for three English marriages, including that of his son James, Duke of Rothsey, to a daughter of Edward the Fourth. He also negotiated for the recovery of Berwick, taken by Gloucester during Albany's invasion of 1482. After his death, and before it, James was accused, for these reasons, of disloyal dealings with England, and such nobles as Angus, up to the neck as they were in treason and rebellion, raised a party against him on the score that he was acting as they did. The most aimless treachery of the Douglases, red or black, endured for centuries from the reign of David II to that of James IV. Many nobles had received no amnesty for the outrage of Lauder Bridge. Their hopes turned to the heir of the crown, James, Duke of Rothsey. We see them offering peace for an indemnity in Parliament of October 1487. The estates refused all such pardons for a space of seven years. The king's party was manifestly the stronger. He was not to be intimidated. He offended Home and the Humes by annexing the priory of Caldingham, which they regarded as their own, to the royal chapel at Stirling. The inveterate Angus, with others, induced Prince James to join them under arms. James took the chancellorship from Argyle and sent envoys to England. The rebels, proclaiming the prince as king, intrigued with Henry the Seventh. James was driven across the Forth and was supported in the north by his uncle Athol, and by Huntley, Crawford, and Lord Lindsay of the Byers, Errol, Glamis, Forbes, and Tilliberdane, and the chivalry of Angus and Strathtay. Attempts at pacification failed. Stirling Castle was betrayed to the rebels, and James's host, swollen by the loyal burgesses of the towns, met the border spears of Holm and Hepburn, the Galloway men, and the levies of Angus at Sauchyburn, near Bannockburn. In some way not understood, James, riding without a single knight or squire, fell from his horse, which had apparently run away with him, at Beaton's Mill, and was slain in bed, it is rumoured, by a priest, feigned or false, who heard his confession. The obscurity of his reign hangs darkest over his death, and the virulent Buchanan slandered him in his grave. Under his reign, Henryson, the greatest of the Chaucerian school in Scotland, produced his admirable poems. Many other poets whose works are lost were flourishing, and the Wallace, that elaborate plagiarism from Barber's the Bruce, was composed, and attributed to Blind Harry, a paid minstrel about the court. End of chapter 13. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.